0: Uh, before you uh, grab your Bible and turn to Proverbs, I want to divert you to to Matthew chapter 7. If you want to grab your Bible and turn over there to Matthew chapter 7. Um, as I was mentioning as we introduced uh, the psalm today, there are themes of Scripture that you will see... Over and over and over again, you see these themes starting in the book of Genesis, they conclude in the book of Revelation, and and literally the 64 books in between those two books continue to present this same theme. And uh, it's a theme that we'll see in Proverbs today, but before we get to Proverbs, I want you to see it uh, really from the lips of Jesus himself. Um, The the theme is, uh, let me me throw some things out for you and, and you tell me what the theme is. Okay, let's do it this way. Um second Corinthians chapter five verse 15 says that Jesus died so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Okay, No longer live for yourselves, but for him. Psalm 1 just told us that there is a way that leads to righteousness. And there is a way that leads to destruction, and it develops that. You know, when you're on that path that leads to righteousness, you're like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. You yield fruit in its season. Uh, Its leaf does not wither, and whatever that person engages in from a spiritual standpoint, he or she prospers. But the wicked are not so. They're like the the chaff that's blown away uh, in the greenhouse, right? It's... Uh, they, they don 't last there 's no there 's no meaning there 's no purpose there uh, how else does the Bible come at this um, there is those who walk in the light as he himself is in the light and there are those who walk in darkness okay are you getting the idea what what's what are these themes it 's one theme but it 's developed in all these different metaphors um, what is it talk to me here What's that? It is about choices, sure. That's, that's that gets us into the into the arena, okay. But choices about what? Light and yeah, about light and darkness, about self-denial. self-denial, okay. Come on, you had an extra hour of sleep. I mean, this is like the easiest morning of Sunday school. Yeah, choose God or choose self. It's saying, and this is where as complicated as theology is and as much as we cannot exhaust the things of God, even in Scripture, it really is pretty simple when it comes down to it. There there are two ways you can choose to live. There are two paths. Every, think of it like this. Every moment of your life is a fork in the road. It's a crossroads. And you don't have multiple choices. This is not a, a multiple choice exam where you, know, you have to figure out all this. This isn't like some big elaborate math equation where there's all these different steps you have to remember. It's two choices. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, nine, I make it my aim to be pleasing to Him. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And so we we see these same themes that you can choose the path that God calls us to as as his creation. Or you can choose another path that leads to your judgment and condemnation and, and the... The, the one caveat, the one footnote we have to make in saying that is that we don't come into this life neutral. We don't come to this life at the crossroads saying, okay, which way am I going to do? And I stand in this position of neutrality where I haven't, I haven't chosen yet. The Bible says we come into this world on the path that leads to destruction. And what are we going to do about that? Well, listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 as he wraps up his sermon on the Mount. And, and, and I, these are verses, again, that you're likely aware of, but, but just, just from our Savior himself, I want you to hear this theme one more time. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Now, he has just expounded the things of God. This is the most lengthy sermon that we have recorded from the lips of Jesus himself in scripture uh, he has talked about the relationship of the law he has talked about characteristics of the righteous of those that belong to the kingdom of god uh, he has talked about understanding that it's not just outward actions that god cares about it's your heart right it's not just that you don't murder it's that you aren't angry with your brother in your heart uh, he's unfolded what it means to trust in god and worry he's talked about sinful judging and and all that all this all this preaching all of this Information, all of this theology about the ways of God and the ways of sin come down now, that they filter down to this one moment where Jesus is now going to call his readers to make a decision in light of what they've heard. Okay, so here it is, Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Do you see that? Do you see the same themes of Scripture? Different metaphor now. Now we're talking about two paths, two gates. Right? Light and darkness, righteous, foolish, glorifying God, Glorifying yourself, pleasing God, pleasing yourself. What we see, all these different things are saying the same thing, and here it is, two gates, two paths, two roads, and Jesus calls people to enter through the narrow gate. To, to take the path that leads to life that very few find and to avoid the path, the, the broad gate, the wide gate that leads to destruction that many are on, many find. And in fact, we, we come into the world as, as broken, fallen sinners. We come into the world already on that broad path that leads to destruction. And Jesus says, I, I, I bring you words of life. Turn from that path and take the narrow gate. Uh, he will say later on, as the metaphor is developed in other places of Scripture, he's actually going to say this. I am the door. I am the gate, if you will. Enter life as it is through me. He says in John 14, 6, No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we enter on the, into that narrow gate that leads to life through the person and work of God of Jesus. But I, but I say that because th- this is one of the broad themes of Scripture. And one of the things you, you and I need to do when we read our Bibles is to look for that same theme. The, the, the Bible is not a black and white book. Have you noticed this? The Bible doesn't say the same thing the same way over and over again. It says the same thing in a multiplicity of ways, in color, in in three-dimensional you know, 4D HGTV technology. It says the same truths that we need to hear, those, those anchor truths that we're meant to build our life upon, but the Bible is, is gloriously diverse in how it brings us those things. It uses different metaphors, it uses different genres of literature, from poetry to story to didactic literature that just says, this is just the way it is, and, you know, take it or leave it. And what we're going to see, guys, is in the book of Proverbs this morning, these exact same themes. There is a way that leads to life. There is a way that leads to destruction. But we're going to see it not as Jesus presents it, as this metaphor of a gate, or as light and darkness, or as pleasing God or pleasing self. We're going to see it as an invitation. An invitation. In fact, as you turn back to Proverbs 9 now with me, the title of the message today is this, two invitations to dinner. We have two invitations to dinner. And that is the metaphor that God has inspired to use in the book of Proverbs to present us with this same theme. Two invitations to dinner. Now, now do you know that? just as you have two paths set before you, just as you have light or darkness, just as you have an opportunity to please Christ or please self, you have two invitations. They're they're stuck to your refrigerator at home. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, you do. You really do. You have two invitations to dinner. You have received in the mail two invitations to dine with two very different hosts. On the one hand... The first invitation is written by a host called Lady Wisdom. And she invites you to dine with her. Lady Wisdom is your first host, the first invitation. And we see, let's just read these verses here as we introduce these two hosts She has invited you to dinner. Follow me along in chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, Come, eat of my food, drink of the wine that I have mixed, forsake your folly... And live. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And proceed in the way of understanding. So on your refrigerator at home, you have one invitation. It says, Come dine with me at my house, Saturday night, 6 o'clock, signed Lady Wisdom. Come and eat and live. And then on the same day, you got another invitation. This is weird. You get two invitations on the same day. And it's on your refrigerator too, because you haven't made up your mind yet. Come dine with me. Signed, Madam Folly. And you'll notice her invitation is listed at the end of chapter 9. So let's read her invitation. Verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 9. The woman of folly, there's Madam Folly, she is boisterous, she is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house, on a seat by the high places of the city calling to those who pass by, who are making their path straight. Now listen to her invitation. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, come here. Now look up for a second. The call is the same, isn't it? Almost word for word, the exact same invitation. Come Here to learn if you lack understanding. If you're naive, if you're trying to figure out life, come here. Let me educate you, she says. It's the exact same invitation as Lady Wisdom. But notice her message is different. We'll get to this in a moment. Verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Okay, so you got two imitations on your refrigerator. Who will you go dine with? Now remember, this is largely a book about parenting. This is a setup for parents as they sit down with their children and say, son, daughter, this is what is before you. You have two competing invitations. You have two competing calls from two very different people. One of them leads to life. One of them leads to certain spiritual destruction. And young people, I want you to, I want you to remember this. Learning to hear the difference. Learning to discern the difference between those two voices, between those two messages is the great need of your life right now. Because every day, you have both of those voices competing for your allegiance, for your affections, for your life. One of these hosts, Lady Wisdom, Madam Folly, will capture your heart and will set the course of your life. That's why this is so important. So we have Lady Wisdom's invitation in verses 1 to 6. We have Madam Folly's invitation in verses 13 to 18. So now let's break these down and look at them in a little more detail, okay? We kind of introduce them now. Are you with me? You see that it's the same theme. It's the exact same message as Jesus in Matthew 7, the psalmist in Psalm 1, as Paul in Second Corinthians 5. It's the same thing. It just comes to us in a different way. And I love the diversity of Scripture. Um, just a footnote, we should do ministry like that. The Bible is not diverse in saying the same thing just so that we can benefit. It's a model. When you're talking to people about the things of God, when you're talking to them about the gospel, don't use the same outline. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but if, you, if you want to really do it the way the Bible tells us, learn to be diverse. Learn to interact. Learn to adapt to whatever the occasion calls for. I think, I think that's a, that's a step of maturity that we should all be making in our ability to evangelize. Let's look first of all at Lady Wisdom. Notice what it says in chapter 9 verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. What does that mean? It's established. Wisdom is established. It's not in process. It's not a building under construction. It's done. And in that house, in that wisdom, it says here that Lady Wisdom has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She's also set her tables. She has set out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. And that reminds us, guys, that wisdom calls and is readily available. Wisdom is not reserved for the elites or for the professionals or for a a small class of people that, that you can only hope to be a part of. Wisdom has gone out. Wisdom is established. God is making wisdom available to any that would call out to him looking for it. You remember, you remember the blank check that God gives us in James chapter 1? Some of you don't know what a check is because you're too young. I was just, we were just talking about the, the t-shirt table. By the way, um, do you guys have one of these? The official exclusive to Grace Bible Church Reformation 500th anniversary t-shirts with the solas on the back. And I I realized that not everybody knows the solas, and so Pastor Terry's starting a sermon series today to go through these solas. So if you don't know what sola scriptura means, or you're just having trouble pronouncing them, let let alone knowing what they mean, you're in the right place, okay, because Pastor Terry's going to talk about that. But I was talking to the the folks at the table about, you know, there's there's a, a whole generation here in our church that doesn't carry cash and has no idea what a check is, right? It's a debit card society, right? So maybe we need to get a debit card thing out there. Lacey, I guess we have that capability. We might think about that, but... But anyway, um, so back to the analogy, the blank check, which would mean, you know, the sky's the limit kind of thing, right? I mean, you have, God gives us an opportunity to ask in James chapter 1, and do you remember what he says? If any of you lacks wisdom, well, I'm sorry, that's too bad. Well, you've got to be really old to get wisdom, so just keep doing what you're doing in life and someday you'll be, no, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives stingily. Who gives abundantly, generously. Does it, guys, do you see the value of that? God has said, this is wisdom. You can have wisdom. How do you get it? You just ask Him, and He will give it to you. So that's the point of this. Wisdom is established. It's not in process. God's not still trying to figure out wisdom. He has it. He owns it. He designed it. And he makes it freely available. It's there. And not only that, wisdom is calling. That, that's what, that's what the message of scripture is, is, is. It's not God's static wisdom locked up in the pages of scripture. It's God's wisdom alive, poured out. It's, it's, it's pronounced. It's preached. It's shared. And that's, that's part of why we're here as Christians, to get that message of wisdom out. And, and the song, the proverb tells us here that wisdom literally is calling out. The, 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 you, guys understand this. you remember when Isaiah talks about the word of God going out, it doesn't, it doesn't ever return void? And you remember when the, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, the word is alive, it's living and active? That, that's, that's another way of, of capturing what he's saying here. Wisdom has gone out with an agenda, and its agenda is to convert you. Its agenda is to pull you in to this realm of, of godliness, of righteousness, of, of doctrine, of teaching, of, of training in righteousness through this thing we call God's wisdom. And notice also, what is at stake here? Verse 5, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. See the agenda? Come, be a part of it. It's not, here's wisdom, it's, come it's participate in this meal eat learn grow in godliness verse 6 forsake your folly and live what's that when you forsake something and turn to righteousness or turn to wisdom what's that called repentance right When you turn away from the wrong way, from the folly, and you turn to wisdom and righteousness, that's called repentance. A spiritual 180 degree, you turn. And that's repentance right here. She's saying, repent, turn away from your folly, come to life. And and notice this, proceed in the way of understanding. Proceed in the way of life. We see that that this, this is not some... Uh this is not some trivial matter here. Literally life and understanding and ultimately eternal destiny um, come from this this pursuit. Okay? So there's Lady Wisdom. Wisdom calls, it's readily available. Life is at stake. Your future spiritual condition is at stake. Forsake your folly, it says and live spiritually speaking now notice look down secondly at madam folly i'm going out of order here in the proverbs uh, in, in the, the flow of the text here on purpose notice first of all madam folly notice her nature look at this verse 13 in contrast to lady wisdom madam folly is boisterous what's that mean what's that she's loud now, now, teenagers, you need to get this. I, I, and, and tell me if I'm totally mishandling the text here. You understand, these are metaphors, right? These are not two actual ladies. They are hypothetical ladies that, that represent both wisdom and foolishness, okay? But by personifying it, that's a good English word, right? Per- personifying it, we get to learn a little bit about it easier, right? So this lady... Uh, uh, Madam Folly, the woman of Folly here, is loud. What does that mean? I think what that means is when you go out into the world, let's say you go to school Monday or you go to soccer practice or you flip on your phone and you look at social media or you flip on the TV this afternoon, watch a little football or whatever you do in the world. This is very important. You see this. The loud message that you hear, the loudest messages that you hear in the culture are messages of folly. You see that? You will not hear in the culture a megaphone presentation, a loud presentation of righteousness. Most of what you hear with emphasis, with volume, with significance is a message of fallen foolish stupidity when it comes to spiritual things. What does that mean? You cannot follow the loud message. You can't follow the majority opinion. The way of wisdom is not loud in the sense that it is most represented in the world. In fact, we know that because Satan is called, what? The God of this world. He owns the thing. And so his, his megaphone, the megaphone of Satan, is the message in the world. And that message resonates with the fallenness that remains even in believers. So young people, remember, the, the loudest voices in your life, as, it, as we think about the world, are probably not voices that lead to life, they're voices that lead to destruction. Do you see that? Does that make sense? You need to remember that. Okay, notice also her strategy. Oh, oh, by the way, look at 14. She sits at the doorway of her house and on a seat, notice this, by the high places of the city. I can't, I can't be sure about this, but remember what was happening in this time in Israel's history. Solomon is writing at a time when the kingdom is about to be divided. And the people are not united around God. They're they're turning away to idols. And, And there are kings, there are movements, there are factions. And one of the things that happens at this time in history is the people of God begin to set up altars to the false gods and begin to worship them. And those altars, if you read the prophets, and if you read some of the historical books, are called the high places. Now, I couldn't find commentators that just nailed this down. Okay, so the, the, I, I think this is what this means, but I'm not going to beat the pulpit too much. I think what what this text is saying, Solomon in his wisdom is saying that madam folly resides in the high places, meaning she is representing a false religion. She's rese- and, and, and don't think don't think like Buddhas or Hindus. Not that she is representing things that are against the truth of God. Maybe say it like that. So if that's what means by she resides in the high places, she's representing uh, uh, truths, not truths, she's representing values, she's representing perspectives, she's representing practices that go against the things of God, do not support the things of God. And maybe, maybe that's what's Again, I'm not beating, I, well I can't beat the pulpit because if I beat the music stand it will fall over. So, that's probably a good thing. Okay? So that's her nature. Notice secondly her strategy. She calls to those who pass by, now watch this, who are making their paths what? Do you get that? The easiest people in the world to deceive are those who do not know the path of life. They don't care about the path of life. They're just living life. They're just doing what everybody else does, trying to make sense of it. That's not who Madam Folly goes after. Now, young people, I want you to see this. Madam Folly does not go after the people that are already on the path that leads to destruction. Why? Because they don't need any help. They're already on the path that leads to judgment the people that she's interested in persuading are those who what? Who are making their paths straight. If you, let me say it like this, if you are trying to walk with God and you are trying to walk on this path that leads to life and you are trying to grow in sanctification, guess who has the crosshairs of their spiritual sniper rifle on you. She's aiming at you. She's going after you. Calling those who pass by, verse 15, who are making their paths straight. Now notice the call is, is, is almost identical to Lady Wisdom. Whoever is naive, verse 16, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding... Listen, that's her message, or that, that's her strategy, is to go after people that are trying to walk with God, and yet, notice verse 16, are still naive. These aren't mature believers. These are very immature believers. And so many, so many things connect. That, that's why Paul will say to Timothy, a pastor, don't take a man who's immature in the faith and put him in leadership too early. Because he's too easy of a target. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that those who are immature in doctrine, immature in their faith, are tossed here and there. It's why they go to the Christian bookstore or they, they see the latest you know, blog post about the latest Christian book and they, they buy into it not realizing that it's an unbiblical message. They're easy targets because they're still naive, though they are trying to walk on that path. So young people, especially be careful. Be careful with that notice thirdly her message what's her message look at this here's the message ready here it is this is her sermon stolen water is sweet now you got to think about that for a minute what what is she saying and when you see when i saw this in the study it was like i can't believe that i don't think i've ever understood that before what is the essence of sin the essence of sin is my greatest pleasure is found in unrighteousness what did eve say in genesis chapter 3 when the woman saw that the good was the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise she ate She took the one thing God told her was unrighteous and said, this will bring me what I need. This will bring me satisfaction. This will make me happy. And that's that's Madam Folly's message. The thing that is forbidden, the thing that is wrong, the thing that God says no to, you say, I need that to be happy. I need that to be successful. I need that to be fulfilled in this life. It's taking the things that God says are sin and making them things that you think you need for your own happiness and enjoyment. Do you see that? It's And James talks about this, right? We get led away and enticed by our own desires. We're deceived by things that we believe. Things that are wrong, but somehow we think are right and good. And, and the... the the second stanza says the same thing. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant, meaning things that you do behind closed doors, things that you do, you know they're wrong, but they're really going to bring blessing in your life. Now, parents talk to me. Has anything changed? Has anything changed? I mean, this is the 9th century BC. It's the exact same battlefront. Watch any commercial that promotes ungodliness. Listen to any song that promotes ungodliness. Watch any movie that promotes ungodliness. Look at any social media post that promotes ungodliness. Look at the script. Satan is terribly uncreative. He has one strategy, and that strategy is to get you to think that the very thing that will kill you is actually what you need to be happy. Stolen water is sweet. You got it? You see it? Okay. So that's her message. And notice, and this is, this is like, you go, whoa, because this is how the chapter ends. And this is how this whole section, remember Proverbs has one big section at the beginning, chapters one to nine. This is how the whole section concludes. Ready? Here it is. But he does not know, meaning the person that would go dine with Madame Folly, he does not know that as he walks in the door, there are nothing but dead people around the dining table. And her guests are in the depths of Sheol, the grave. What what What's the message? The message is, come on in. This is what you need to be happy and fulfilled. And as soon as you bite down, you recognize you are in the company of other dead people on the path that leads to destruction. As soon as you open the door and look at the dining guests... So, how do we avoid that? There's the contrast. You see it? The way that leads to life, the narrow gate, and then the way that leads to destruction, the broad gate. The metaphor here is two invitations, two dining uh, invitations, right? Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom. Okay, so how do we, how do we avoid that? And, and, and here's the question. I, I, this, this is, I think, the question this, this chapter asks us, okay? What determines your appetite? Right? Right? What determines, do you go there to Madame Folly or do you go there to Lady Wisdom? And as parents, you might be asking yourself the question, and again, this is not just for parents. I mean, this is for all of us because this is true of us and it's really true of anybody we're trying to minister to. What determines, what determines if a person reaches out to wisdom or continues to walk in folly? The answer is their appetite. So we should want to know, what determines the appetite? Well, we are, we are in good, good, a very good situation here, friends, because Psalm is going to tell us what determines the appetite, okay? So we've seen Lady Wisdom, we've seen Man of Folly. Look at verse 10. What determines the appetite? Verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning. The foundation, the entry gate, the starting line of the path that leads to wisdom is what he says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And notice the the compliment there. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's the difference. And that is why helping our children to develop a fear of the Lord is our main agenda. And not because I say it, because that's the whole, whole proverb says. It says, this is the issue. You say, now, what's the fear of the Lord? Now, we talked, we had a whole, like, five-part series back when we started Proverbs on the fear of the Lord. So, you maybe go back and review some of that if that would be helpful. For our purposes today, let me just remind you, let's talk about fear of God 101, okay? There are two types of the fear of the Lord. There is what we call terror fear. That is fear that is based on the threat and danger that God poses to you because you have realized that you reside in your sin, alienated from Him and under His judgment. Terror fear is the right response of recognizing that you are under God's judgment. You have broken His law, you have turned away from His name, And because you are his creature and accountable to him, you will stand before him to give an account for your sin, and apart from the the wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be judged eternally. That's a fear of the Lord that we call terror fear. John Murray, the great theologian, said, it is the essence of impiety, meaning it is the essence of ungodliness, to not fear God when you have reason to. You get it? That's terror fear. And that is a right fear that is designed to lead us to the gospel. It's designed to lead us, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, the wrath of God is, is coming, we're storing up wrath, and our only hope is a Savior, our only hope who comes as a propitiation, who dies as a sacrifice, that takes that judgment, who is punished, as it were, in our place, And then Christ robes us in His own very righteousness so that we can stand before God in the judgment clothed in His very righteousness. And on on that basis, and on that basis alone, He can pronounce us justified and not guilty, allowing us to come into His family. And that leads when we do become a believer, when we do trust in Christ alone, receiving that gift, that terror for fear turns into what we call awe fear. Uh, amazing uh, fear, if you will. What is that? That is seeing the beauty of God. It is recognizing His goodness, His holiness, His righteousness. It is seeing Him for who He is and saying, this God has saved me. He has called me into His family. He has sacrificed His own Son to, to bring me forgiveness and to bring me righteousness and reconciliation with Him. And, and this, this great God now calls me into His family. And I can't help but to live in worship and love and honor of this great God. I live, as we quoted in 2 Corinthians 5.15, not to please myself anymore, but to please Him. To live for Him. And my greatest desire is to live for His approving smile. And my greatest fear is to bring His frowning disapproval on my life. Not in a way that would bring judgment, but in a way that would bring fatherly sadness. So terror, fear off here. The best definition I've ever heard of the fear of the Lord, I've, I've continued to look because I'm fascinated by the subject, uh, is from our former college pastor back at John MacArthur's church who said this, the fear of the Lord means considering him dangerous when sin is present and awesome when sin is forgiven. That brings those two things together in one definition. And I want you to notice, it is that fear of the Lord. It is living in awe, in reverence, in this desire to honor Him. Not because you're trying to earn your way to Him. No, not like that. But because as your loving Heavenly Father, you want to please Him in all you do. You want to honor Him. You want to see His approving smile. Again, not, not to try to earn favor, not to try to earn salvation, but because you love your Father. And I want you to notice how this theme constitute what I would call the bookends of the section. The bookends of the section. You say, what do you mean? Well, remember chapter 1 and chapter 9 are the first section of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9 is concluding with what? The fear of the Lord. Well, back up to chapter 1 and let's remember what we talked about several months ago. Chapter 1, as Solomon introduces us to his book, the book of Proverbs, he sets up a bookend. He says, okay, this is going on one side of the shelf and then we're going to fill it in with information about wisdom. What's that bookend in chapter 1, verse 7? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So guys, you see, the fear of the Lord is the bookends of the section. It starts the section, it concludes the section, and if you were paying attention, it fills the middle because it's the theme to live in this fear of the Lord, to consider God dangerous when sin is present, awesome when sin is forgiven, to walk in reverential love and trust and obedience, walking with Him and living for His approving smile. That is the foundation of wisdom. Now, right in the middle, this is this is almost out of place, but right in the middle of this wonderful section, because we, we would expect it to end with, you know, who do you who do you choose to serve, right? You know, choose you this day whom you will serve. That sounds like it's in the Bible, doesn't it? Look at verses 7 and 9. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and yet he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. And right in the middle of our section there, we go, what is that doing? And I can only conclude that that was written by a parent. That was written by a man who loved people and cared about their spiritual condition. Right in the middle of this, this final plea between Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly, he brings up the topic of scoffers. Now, you need to do a scoffer study sometime. You really need to, and maybe we'll do that in here sometime because this is a really interesting phenomenon, and we won't have time to to go through all of this. But um, the scoffer is one of the characters that shows up in Proverbs. We talked about him before. But this is a man who does not listen to reproof or instruction or correction. This is the proverbial hard-headed person. Who gets angry when you try to help him. Who gets defensive when you try to talk to her. And we we need to talk about the scoffer because this is about strategy. Do Do you want to learn biblical strategies for ministering to people in the most effective ways? I do. And I think that's what this section is about. It's about how do you deal with a scoffer? What do you do with somebody, you present them the truth of God, and they get angry at you, they get defensive, they don't want to hear it, they may call you names, it may break even the relationship. And part of the problem, guys, is is going to say here, we're employing the wrong strategy. How do you help somebody like that? Especially if they're one of those short people in your house. Okay, how do you do that? Well, first of all, notice you can identify and distinguish a wise man from a foolish man by how he responds or how she responds to correction. And this is not just true for short people. This is true for old, big people like us. How do you know a wise Christian from a maybe a believer who's struggling, a believer who is foolish and, and still learning? The answer is, look at verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, he will increase his learning. What is he saying? Look at look back at verse 8. Reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he'll love you. What a difference. And, and in fact, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves today is this. How do you Respond when a Christian who loves you comes to offer correction and instruction because of something in your life that isn't right. How do you respond? Solomon is saying, you know what? You can tell a lot about a person. Do they lean more toward wisdom? Do they lean more toward folly? by how they respond to that. And notice the strategy. If you continue to try to rebuke and correct and instruct a scoffer, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. So what do you do? Verse 8 says don't rebuke him. Well, and, and, and the idea would be not, don't keep trying to, trying to rebuke him. In verse chapter 19, verse 25, we'll get to this in a little bit, 19.25 says, well, what do you do instead? You punish him. It's actually one of those verses that involves corporal punishment or some time of punishment in the home. 22.10 says, in the company of other people, you may need to remove him because of his or her ungodly influence. You say, so I'm going to punish him and I'm going to remove him or her if necessary and I'm not going to instruct or correct. What do I do? Am I giving up as a parent? Am I giving up as a friend? No, 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 Listen and actually turn there because I want you to see this. Turn over, just hold your place there. Turn over to chapter 21, verse 24. You need to see this verse. 21, 24. Okay, we don't continue to rebuke or correct or instruct. Because, because, why? Because their heart's not right yet. Their heart is not right yet. And chapter 21 verse 24 tells us exactly where you need to focus your, your parenting or ministerial focus. Chapter 24. Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent What's the word? That's the problem. A person will not respond well to godly instruction and correction until their heart of pride is addressed. Do you see that? So you're trying to appeal right here. And Solomon is saying their heart's not ready for that. Their heart is not going to receive that. You need to put your ministerial and parenting focus on dealing with a heart of pride. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, we'll talk about that when we have a little more time sometime. But if, you see the strategy? If you just try, you keep correcting. And, and before you know it, the relationship is broken. They don't want to talk to you. And they've got hatred and anger in their heart towards you. And you go, what happened? The, the, the problem, it wasn't that you were doing something wrong. It was that you were employing the wrong strategy. I, I think, go back to chapter 9. I think that's what he's saying here. I don't think he's saying there's never a time to correct a scoffer. I think what he's saying is that's not our primary strategy. Because if that's your primary strategy, it's not going to go well for you. Does that make sense, parents? Does that make sense? Okay. But notice this: a wise man rebuked grows in wisdom and loves the one who rebukes. Isn't that amazing. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to be the type of Christian that says, when somebody loves me enough to correct me or to instruct me because they observe something in my life that isn't right, how do I respond? Do, do I, do I grow in wisdom, meaning I heed the counsel, I examine myself, and insofar as it's accurate, with God's grace and help, I seek to change? And then I realize, what what Solomon says later on, that a friend loves at all times, right? That faithful are the wounds of a friend because that is valuable. That correction is part of God's sanctification plan for us, meaning we don't grow into the image of Christ the way he wants to without that sort of correcting feedback from loving friends. But you know what? If we're always getting angry with them, if we're showing hatred, and and they're going to stop. And the end result is we're not going to grow. Okay? Last thing. We're out of time here. The benefits and responsibilities. Looking at the last couple of verses here. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. What a rebuke. He says, first of all, there are wonderful benefits to wisdom. And the one that we've seen here, we've seen it before, is it leads to long life. You say, how does that work when someone dies of cancer early or something like that? We understand this is not all that God says about the subject, but as a general rule, those who grow in wisdom, God blesses with long life. But notice this sobering conclusion. The benefits and burdens of your decision. Who do you dine with? Which invitation do you RSVP for? Where do you go? The benefits and burdens of your decision are yours alone to bear. And young people, I just want you to hear that. At the end of the day, you don't stand before God with your parents. You don't stand before God with Pastor Terry, even though he loves you dearly. You stand before God alone. And that sobers us to think about how important this is. You cannot ride on the coattails of your parents' faith. You must make your faith your own and choose wisdom for yourself because you're convinced that Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is broad and the way is wide that leads to destruction there are many that find it but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few that find it young people heed that and turn to god to get on that path now when you have plenty of time plenty of resources to grow in that people to help you with that before you stand on your own one day okay two invitations which one are we going to accept Father, thank you for uh, the diversity of your word, and thank you for how this chapter has helped us to see so clearly the paths before us. And I pray that as we choose the path that leads to life through the person and work of Christ alone, we will continue on that path by walking in wisdom, and even Lord, receiving correction when we need it. Lord, I pray especially for our young people. uh, Pray for all of us that we would walk on that path that leads to life, and brings wisdom. Make us, Father, uh, people that are growing in your grace more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.